This episode of Bev's Video Kingdom is brought to you by the cocktail known as an aqua velva. Do you like sitting by yourself at the bar? Do you appreciate being left alone while you are grabbing a drink after a long week? Aqua Velva is a drink that will leave your that will leave you friendless and rolling solo at the club. Nothing says don't trust that dude like a blue umbrella drink next to some buffalo wings during Sunday night football at your local dive bar. Named after the pungent bright blue aftershave, Aqua Velva packs the same punch to your taste buds with equal parts rum and vodka, lemon lime soda, and blue carousel liqueur for the attention-grabbing hue it's known for. Tell the bartender Bev sent you and get your first four Aqua Velvas on us and enjoy the three-and-a-half-day hangover that you completely deserve. If you're alone and feeling blue at the bar, let Aqua Velva keep it that way. Aqua Velvas, Aqua Velvas are the preferred drink of the Bev's Video Kingdom crew because they are delicious. <laughs> Nothing says come sit by me like a big blue drink with an umbrella. A chunk of pineapple on the roof. <laughs> you going to eat that pineapple? Welcome to Bev's Video Kingdom. We're walking around Bev's Video Kingdom and we're looking for a thriller. We're looking for something that's going to build some tension. We're looking around the room and we're thinking, what's going to make Nate a little bit uncomfortable? That's that's mainly what drives most of my picks. How are we going to make Nate uncomfortable? <laughs> what's scary? Yeah. yeah. And and it doesn't even have to necessarily be scary to make Nate uncomfortable. That's the best part about this. <laughs> uh, that's the best part about this pick. So... This week, my pick, this is Zach, by the way, we went with Zodiac from, directed by David Fincher, a lengthy, a girthy, two hours and 37 minutes. Uh, I love this movie. We got Jake Gyllenhaal, Robert Downey Jr., one of my least favorite actors, Mark Ruffalo. I just, the Hulk just doesn't do it for me, but he's good in this movie. He's, he's, he's pretty darn good. Uh, this movie cost $65 million to make and grossed $85 million. Not exactly a big success as far as we're looking at Fincher's, uh, catalog. This movie was released in 2007. It's based on the book by cartoonist Robert Graysmith, who's played by Jake Gyllenhaal in the movie. Graysmith's account is pretty universally described as pretty accurate. Uh, he has some what people would call preconceived notions about who the killer is, and this movie kind of alludes to that. There's been some new late-breaking news just in the past couple months uh, that we're going to get into in a little bit here. Um, Zodiac Killer kind of gripped the uh, Western United States or, 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 or the world, depending on how you look at it. Um, it was a it was a huge deal. 1969, uh, he came out and basically claimed that he had done a couple of murders in California and went on from there. He's sending letters to 
three different newspapers and telling the editors that they must run his letters on the front page or he is going to kill more people. Uh, like I said, you know, gripped the nation. A bunch of us have talked to a bunch of our family and uh, some older older generation people, and they remember this stuff. They're huge. It was it was a really really big deal. This movie it builds a bunch of tension. It doesn't really come out and say exactly who the killer is. There's no. There's no payoff. There's no crescendo. It's just kind of a tension build all the way through. I really dig it. Like I said, it came out in 2007. This kind of came out after Fight Club, after Panic Room. His movie that he did after this was, was Benjamin Button, which is just drivel. A uh, terrible movie. Um, and then it was kind of a downtime for him for a couple years. And then he comes back with social network, dragon tattoo. He did the series house of cards, gone girl, mine hunter, mank, uh, a bunch of really successful stuff. One of the, you know, he's kind of one of the, one of the better directors or one of the more revered directors of, uh, of our generation, I would say, uh, if we're being realistic about it sort of a polarizing figure. There's a lot of people that don't dig his stuff. I think all of us kind of universally like most of his things that he did. Uh, I'm curious what you guys thought about this. I'm going to kick it to Brad. I want to know what you think. This was one of my, my blind spots at the job. I'd never seen Zodiac. And so I was excited to watch it. And, uh, two hour 40, I was like, Oh shit, two hour and 40. And, and you start off with a very, I mean, pretty graphic killing. And then you get pretty early in the movie another graphic killing was just like oh damn this is one of those types of movies and and then all of a sudden it just turns into this kind of different movie for a second and i was hella surprised by how many of these uh, uh how many just people that you see in the movie you're like oh i know that guy from this i know a guy from, like uh, uh, just a ton of that guys there's a lot of players for sure yes a big cast and it was at times a little confusing and, and i'll talk about that a little bit later but yeah but for the most part enjoyed it i mean of course it's got that fincher style it's got you know you're going to get great acting. You know you're going to get beautiful shots. You're going to get some some tight editing. And for that, I really loved it. I wouldn't say I loved this movie, but I but I definitely enjoyed it. Repeating some of the things that you said, Brad, as far as the look, you can count on Fincher to, um, gosh, have the cast, the music's on point, the mood, the lighting, like the tone. Um, it all plays, and it's so clean. Uh, specific, you know, it's all specific to the movies that he's making. So he creates the world. He, he creates that world that you're kind of immersing yourself in a movie, a case this long that stretches so many years in so many areas. That's so complex to tackle such a, like a project and make you feel like you're not watching a documentary, um, which I'll get into that later, a movie that's so long. And at any point in this movie, I, if it comes on, I'm willing to jump into it. The way that it's structured is it's like two different movies. You have, the murder graphic side of it that it opens up with immediately. And it just leaves you uh, kind of in the dust of these murders. And then pretty much exactly the midway point when I like paused it is when it picks up and you're introduced to Arthur Lee Allen. And then it starts an entirely other crime uh, and the investigation side of it, which is uh, extensive and goes on for years and then turns into decades. Um, and so it's impossible to be to me literally I, I, or in the movie because literally <laughs> at times this movie felt like goddamn this is a long movie. See, not for me. That's where you know, not for me because I dig all the different montages, the 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 different musical choices during the different montages where you're where they're they're going through the file cabinets and they're going through the file boxes and they're digging through and they're flashing through 
the notes from detectives and investigations, interrogations. So I'm all about it. I love the cast. I love the, just to focus on the captains uh, in Vallejo and Napa and even um, Mulroney in SF. So that's just a few, but I love the cast. So honestly, it's a win-win for me. It's up there as far as favorite Fincher movies for me, but I, doesn't quite take the top for me, but big fan of this movie. Yeah, no, uh, Nick and I, you, we've talked about this one before. I mean, and Nick kind of, I think, introduced me to some of the Fincher stuff uh, or or, or the, some of the Fincher perspectives. So this is Nate here, by the way. And none of our fans can tell the difference between us. But I can tell you, if you, if you ever tune in and you feel like you're listening to a Barry White song, then that's me talking. If you, if you get all, like, tingly inside. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I've, I see, I've seen this movie maybe three or four times. I I actually rewatched it kind of independently about six months ago and I, I really like it. Um, but I, for some reason this time it felt longer to me. Um, it took me more than my normal, like 12 segments to watch it, (laughs) which is always feels long. Um, but I saw something different in it in, in preparing for the pod that I, th- I really dug about it or at least like thought was, you know, in a movie like this, right, you feel a little bit like you might not see new things in it um, because it's historical and because it's sort of it's not like the, the story. It's not like a story that it's telling you in certain, you know, in, in a way. Um, but as we were talking about, you know, sort of the run up to this and some of the new news that's out about about this, what it got me thinking was that. The Zodiac, it's a movie about Zodiac that's not about Zodiac at all, right? I mean, and, and of course, the movie doesn't, t- you know, it doesn't really come down exactly on who Zodiac is. And in fact, some of the more recent stuff, you know, casts significant doubt on the possibility that it is who the movie implies it is. It's really a movie about people wanting people, the range of people who want to try to figure out who Zodiac is. Obsession. Is right, kind of, exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and even in the time since Fincher made and released this movie, that has taken on a whole new life because of the prominence of, you know, the internet and social media and Reddit and other forums where this sort of thing can go true on. True crime prod- podcasts. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, yeah, true crime genre in general, podcasts and, and other f- formats, you know, a lot of books that come out on this sort of stuff. So for me, watching the movie this time, it was really through the lens of, of, of Fincher telling a story, not at all about Zodiac and in some ways not itself about the case, but about a bunch of, you know, Graysmith, you know, himself is a cartoonist, right? And that's that's a major, you know, rep, point of reference throughout the movie. So, you know, and, and then the you know, first cipher is solved by sort of complete amateurs, right? And so, you know, to me, it's it's it really was interesting to watch it looking for, um, you know, the different pods and groups of people that are obsessed in their own ways trying to come at this case because it's unsolved and maybe unsolvable. And and at the core, I mean, Zodiac is really just like the first, I mean, not the first, but I mean, he's coming through with some real like guerrilla social media campaign. You know what I mean? He's kind of, he's kind of calling the shots from the beginning, sending out these letters, claiming that he did, he did all these things saying scary shit. Like I'm going to kill a bunch of school children on a school bus. You know what I mean? Stuff that's going to freak people out, stuff that's going to grab everybody's attention stuff that's going to freak you know people like the san francisco chronicle or examiner or whoever it is in order to you know kind of force them to feel like they have to 
broadcast his message or else he's going to punish them for not doing that, which is, uh, which is kind of an insane thing when you think about 1969 when this stuff is coming out because now, you know, that kind of uh, that kind of almost marketing of yourself is uh, is pretty standard. I, I would say, David Fincher, right? If you're gonna if you're gonna go through the lens of this movie, you're looking at uh, Seven, Mindhunter, and this movie. It's obviously that the guy is into serial killers, right? He's got he's got a message that he wants to come across with. So we're gonna go and sit down with David. And we're going to talk to him specifically, like a lot of times when we do this category, we'll say, hey, you know, we're talking to we're talking to whoever it is, whatever the director is. And then we'll say, you know, but if we're talking to this director, maybe we'll talk to him about this movie or we'll talk to him about that. But let's keep it strictly to what we're looking at through the lens of David Fincher. So he comes across uh, the story of Zodiac and just a quick timeline of what we're of what we're dealing with here before we sit down with David. We're looking at 1969, random letter arrives to the San Francisco Examiner newspaper, and it's got a coded message. This killer basically identifies himself and says, I did these, I did these kills. I'm going to tell you guys some, some secret stuff that happened in these, and you guys are going to just to prove to you that it was me. Immediately, the cipher that he originally sends is solved. So you've got a murder in 1968 that's being attributed to him. 69, there's four to five murders. And in the end, you're looking at, they're saying that possibly 30-something people were killed by this guy or five, which is what the official total is being charged against him. So Fincher wants to take this on. He wants to make this movie. Obviously, this movie came out in 2007. We're talking about it 14 years later. There's been some new developments in the case that we'll get into in a second that I'd love to talk to David about. So they're saying that he hinted that he had killed at least 37 people, but they're saying that only five can officially be connected to him and two attempted murders because he didn't actually, if it was him, he didn't actually succeed in a couple of times. So we're sitting down with David Fincher. What are we drinking with uh, with Dave today? What are you guys thinking? Well, I mean, if we were smart, we would have brought... Aqua Velvas got that with it. <laughs> but um, I brought a growler and I'm sharing it with uh, a, a few of my co hosts here of Dying Breed Local Brewery. Uh, it's their El Macho. It's a, uh, it's a great little uh, Mexican lager. It's great for a Michelada. Um, in fact, that's what we were drinking the night before. So uh, it's just super tasty. If you're ever in the Oakdale, California area, hit up Dying Breed Brewery. They're making some good beers. Enjoy them. Very good. Tastes delicious. Delicious. I'm drinking a Roy Rogers. <laughs> is that closer is to that an Aqua cool? Velva? Closer. It's delicious. You put a grenadine and a Coke, and it's all of a sudden like a yeah. It's like it's like a explosion of cherry flavor in your mouth. That's that's awesome. <laughs> okay. And this will take us to our ASMR moment. <laughs> Actually, I got that coming for you okay, later. Sorry. I, got, I got my I got my I got my ghost nuts for that. So we got beer and sweet drink. So, Zach, what's going on with, with Fincher? What are we asking him? So, we've talked about this. I, I mean, so really quick, this is what I want to run down. So, we've, we've, we've prefaced it. We've talked about it. So, Fakal Zerui. So, this guy is a French 3D and virtual reality artist. This guy comes out about a month ago, maybe two months ago from the recording of this pod, 
and he j- immediately jumps on Reddit and says, I've solved the last cipher. So there's a 305 word cipher that, uh, that this guy comes out that, 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 that has never been solved from the 1970s that was supposedly sent by the Zodiac. So this guy within two weeks is claiming on all of these. So there's a huge communities of people that for years and years and years have dedicated themselves to solving these ciphers. This guy immediately comes on and says, Hey, in two weeks I've solved the cipher. He's immediately shut down. His post is deleted. No one believes him. No one wants to believe him, but there's some compelling evidence that maybe he was telling the truth. Uh, so basically, the movie Zodiac implies that the guy, the bald guy, what's his name? What's the guy that they imply is, is the killer? Lee Allen. Arthur Lee Allen. Arthur Lee Allen. They're implying that Arthur Lee Allen, who just reminds me of Kevin from The Office for some reason, if he was the, <laughs> sc- the fucking Scranton Strangler, uh, he just he, he reminds me of that dude the entire movie. But this guy's saying... That that is not the guy. He's apparently been cleared by DNA evidence. He's already dead. He comes up with there is two unsolved codes. One of them is so short that it is thought to be unsolvable. But he thinks that he solved it using one of the keys from one of the previous things. And he says, my name is blank. And he says, K-A-Y-R, which is one of the suspects' last name, which is Lawrence K or Lawrence Kane. This guy's gone by like 20 different names. Uh, He's actually dead now, of course, so we'll never know actually really what it is. But... That's what they're thinking and if, is the actual and, and if you look at the like some of the summaries of the evidence against Kane, it looks pretty convincing, right? Like you know, he, he changes cars five days after, you know, one of the attempted murders that, that where the, the suspects see him. You know, the the, the woman that is kidnapped uh, in Modesto temporarily late, you know, much later identifies him, you know, in a, in a photo. So there's a, there are a whole bunch of sort of things that if you look at him closely, but, but the problem, of course, is our, um, Arthur Lee Allen looks very convincing. If you, you know, in, in, in Graysmith's book and, and the evidence there, you know, presented in film by Fincher looks really convincing. So to me, right, you know. At very, you know, given that there are multiple suspects that look awfully convincing, right? There's some real shocking coincidences going on here, you know, which itself is kind of an interesting. Well, there's also there's always worries of of copycats with with ones that gets really public uh, publicized. It's like I think that's the big one. Yeah, right? that maybe this came to like I mean, he could be possibly. Oh, I'm I'm gonna act like I'm the Zodiac and I might be doing some terrible shit too, but. But I'm not the actual real Zodiac, so I don't know. Craziness. I mean, this guy lived two blocks away from the the cab driver that was killed that's depicted in the movie. Um, he quotes a play called Mikoto, which played three blocks away from his apartment during the time that he supposedly made the cipher that was sent to the newspapers. Um, Brian Hartnell, one of the survivors who said that basically out of all the pictures that he was shown by possible suspects that this guy was the closest, although he did acknowledge that it had been too long, so he wasn't quite sure. They think the voices sounded similar. They think that the Zodiac suffered a brain injury at some point, and this guy suffered a brain injury right around the same time. So the movie's false as far as that 
victim who survives um, identifying Alan, that's false. No, I think I think that that was true. But you're also talking about. I mean, you're talking about years have passed, right? So twenty years. You know, you know, a a stocky, stocky white male with a speech impediment. You know, who who knows who it could be? You know, you're you're trying to pick somebody out of a lineup when it's kind of a moving target at that point. Yeah. So so I want to. I have two sort of threads here for Fincher. Um, One is I want to ask you. You mentioned Zach that he's somebody that clearly is fascinated with serial killers, right? We talk about Mindhunter and Seven. I think his body of work would definitely support that. Well, and, and like, you know, the girl with the dragon tattoo is also sort of in that vein. I didn't even think about that, yes. But I, I wonder whether or not, in fact, he would say that he's fascinated with those people who try to catch serial killers or figure out serial killers. I mean, Mindhunter right, comes to mind here, right? That, that, that's, a, that's a movie that's much... I mean, that's a TV show that's much more about those who try to figure it out. And I would argue, you know extending my earlier point that upon this rewatch Zodiac for me is not about the killer at all. Right. I mean, you know, the movie is really about the people in various you know angles that are trying to see it. So I'm kind of curious about, you know, what Fincher, how, how, how he would profile himself. The other question I have, and, and I know, I think, you know, Nikki might have some commentary on this too. He sort of, uh, he, he, he foreshadowed it, but I think a lot about what, true stories owe, right? If you're going to tell what is supposedly or purportedly a true story, what does that mean, first of all, right? Um, and I even think about this in the context of documentaries, right? I mean, documentaries are not true stories. You know, I mean, somebody chose what to film in the first place. Somebody chose the subject. Somebody chose when to turn the camera on and off. Somebody chose how to edit it. Um, and then the music and the overtones and the narrative. I mean, you know, so so on some level, right? There is no true story. There is never a true story in in, in film, on a, in a sense. Um, but with something like this, where there's very clearly a, a heavy profit entertainment motive, um, and then also there's sort of a it's a form of art on top of all of that. You know, when the material is sort of based in this case explicitly and heavily on sort of true events. How much should we be or are we bothered by the fact that there are things that are either at, at very worst sort of just patently made up, you know, um, and, and there's some of that here, but probably in order to movie. drive the narrative of the story and make the movie more interesting or whatever. Yeah, it is. yeah just yeah. make make it that really like tight, tight two hours and 40 minutes. You know, you got to you got to have a <laughs> you have things <laughs> moving along. Um and then you know how much how much do do we do we care right like you know given that we know that there's always going to be some you know we we don't we can't know what the true events were in some sense to even compare it to so I guess I'm curious you know what Fincher's take is after after tackling this topic in this book you know you know does he did he feel any sort of you know requirement you know to try to get it right in a sense I, yeah. I mean I'm I'm kind of concerned because like the the ending of the movie the most I mean almost uncomfortable scene is when you get uh, uh, Rick Marshall, when he goes to his house, and he's like, <laughs> I, "I don't believe that actually happened," and and to create that scene kind of bothers me a little bit. The fact that it's just like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna make this whole like, oh, there was this creepy guy maybe upstairs, and I had to like run out of his house." Did that, I don't think that actually happened, did it? So, Nick? so I so actually that that character's name, I don't know if he is a real life character. That's I think it's Bob Vaughn. Or Bob Vaughn, and he's oh, the sorry, one that yeah, said Bob he Vaughn. knew the guy that owned the Rick theater, Marshall, and he was the one who went there to meet him. And I don't know that I I picture that not happening. No. So I, I thought you were going to say this, Nick, but yeah. So Graysmith acknowledges that that was a true 
that was an actual encounter. So he cool. went to the guy's house. Went, the guy took him down into the basement. He was real freaked out. Realized that there was someone upstairs and excused himself as quickly as possible. Now, I'm sure there was a lot of tension that was kind of uh, conjured up in the movie, but that is actually included in Graysmith's book, and that is supposedly something that really happened. Since we're talking about that really quick, and then back to you, Brad, is something I noticed after like multiple rewatches of this is beginning of the movie, and they're going through case files, Ruffalo um, says something and references, oh, there's not a lot of basements in California. He says it early. Then later, There's the he walks into the, yeah, and Gyllenhaal mentions it really quick. And, um, you know, you kind of get, like, chills really quick. And that's just whole scene. That's one of my, I put that on great scenes. And, I mean, for our East Coast fans, I mean, we've been living in California our whole lives. How many people we know with a basement? I know zero. I can't think, but. No, they just special. don't do it's, that it was special. Yeah, when you saw it, when you had a basement, it was like, let's let's go. This is amazing. Yeah. My cousin had a sweet basement with a big screen TV and a yeah, pool table. I've seen, like, yeah, yeah. I've seen one of those. <laughs> But Brad, yeah, back yeah, to- no. So, so my 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 only question, just to to Fincher, is simply like, at this point, who does he think the Zodiac is? Like, he he obviously put us onto two very, I wouldn't say obvious, but I mean two suspects that that seem to kind of fit the bill. And with this new knowledge, does does he has he changed his mind? Did he have any? And when he went into it, was he trying to say like, I'm going to push people this way, or is it just like? Maybe I don't know. I'm going to kind of kind of push it both ways and just see what people decide. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, and kind of like you're saying, Nate and Brad, as far as, okay, um, Fincher, you've, you've tackled this, this topic and this case that spanned decades and um, multiple angles and multiple opinions about who this, the, the prime suspect is, who, who you think is the murderer. And like you said, Brad, I'd be curious who he thinks after doing all the research, interviewing people, creating this movie and and committing to this direction and this voice, who does he think it is? And then having a conversation with him about just his talent for building tension, because Mindhunter is one of my favorite shows ever. And I think that that show compared to any show or movie builds tension like no other show or movie. um, I think really, or many have have that I've that I've seen. Zach, you're a big thriller in um in horror movie and in, in tension type uh you know movie watcher. And so I'm very, you know Well that's the key that's the key that we talked about earlier with this movie is there's no real there's no real payoff. There's no reveal. There's no I mean, it's a two hour and 40 minute movie where you leave the theater and you're I mean he he hints that at, at who it is, but there's no there's no big payoff, which is inter- an interesting decision on the director's part. But the thing is, is any, you know, a different director maybe takes those scenes and 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 gores them up and something like that. Barry S's scene to me is one of the more terrifying yeah. murder scenes. Beautiful, gorgeous day in Barry Essa. It's quiet. It's not overdone. He kind of sneaks behind a tree, which is totally a human thing to do. Maybe he wasn't like ready. Some go trees that Fincher flew in because the scenery was different than it was like actually at the case. And so he flew in some big ass oak trees so that he could have that they could have some things no to hide under. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> dude, <laughs> see, that's Fincher, dude. Like, and it's like for such a simple, beautiful day, like there had to have been you felt like there had to have been another spot in another cove on that lake where maybe maybe the oaks were ripe, but maybe there wasn't. And maybe he had gone all around the lake and there really wasn't a spot. And the lighting and the time of day wasn't right. And he had to, to do that. The close-ups that he chose, when he chose to do them of faces throughout the movie, 
just like they did in Silence of the Lambs, it makes you tense. When you are face-to-face with a person, they are looking at the camera. There's not a more tense moment in a thriller, in a horror movie. Her and the actress's reaction when she's getting, you know, stabbed before seeing it coming and then it happening is, yeah. is. Am I right? There's no music over the top of those killings either. Right. I don't think there's any music. Which is one of the things that I like. It's odd that it makes, you know, it's almost like even with certain types of music, you can make things scarier. But it also relieves a certain amount of tension because it breaks your suspension of disbelief. And that's the key in the um, Berryessa scene is that what he does is he makes real. you feel that they're going to get away. You feel throughout that scene, it's tension, 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 and then you feel like, oh, maybe he's gonna, maybe he's gonna let him go. But in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, I don't know. But you start to, you start to feel relieved a little bit for a second there, and then. It comes in, and that's and that's what gets you. Hundred percent. And when I first saw it, I I felt that. And you watch it the first time, you're like, "Shit, I know how this ends." Yeah. But it's still an amazing scene, and uh, and and super scary. Um, I mean, I got a couple of like things you were talking about some his, you know, some historical like little tidbits, but just about um, you know, actually related to our small town. Um, my dad being a, a big kind of Zodiac buff and kind of serial killer. Um, you know, just enthusiasts of stories and documentaries and everything. And um, he helped me with a little background research. Um, the taxi driver actually is was is from Houston or the Modesto area. The, the fifth victim is from the Houston area, Modesto area. Paul Stein. Paul Stein. Um, and actually, when he was killed, his brother Joe Stein, a Modesto resident, came out and publicly challenged the Zodiac to basically like a physical... Trial altercation like come oh, find me this is where i work these are the times that i work here there's a news clip of him being interviewed um and basically you could just get the sense of the the questions that the reporter is asking like are you fear do you feel for your life are you afraid that the zodiac are you going to bring that that you're going to bring the zodiac to modesto and he's like he says honestly straight up i'm just really thinking selfish about this i actually didn't consider that and he said, he said things like, you know, I think I got a, a good fight still left in me. Like, I don't know. I think I could probably handle myself if he wanted to come. Another thing that's creepy is if, um, so five weeks, five months later is when the Highway 132 abduction took place. And so, you know, some people say that perhaps his okay. challenge, he was on his way, you know, to Modesto to kind of make his way into this area to kind of take him up on that or whatever. And it's kind of a scary, scary take on that. Um, so anyways, just, uh, you know, I grew up, you know, with my dad being into it, you hearing that he was into it, hearing how scared people in Modesto and our area were with the Zodiac murders. My mom growing up in Santa Rosa area, hearing how kind of terrified she was at age of like 10, 11, 12. Um, and so hearing that something like that was, you know, that close to home is, you know, it just speaks to, and we learned a little bit how, how fearful everyone was when the Zodiac murders were, were happening. I'll admit, I legit did not know anything about the Zodiac until they started saying that, or I think it was Trump said that Ted Cruz might be the Zodiac. And I was like, <laughs> oh my what the God. fuck is the Zodiac? And I started looking it up. I was like, oh shit, that's wild. Oh man. I mean, well, are we sure that Ted Cruz isn't the Zodiac? Or I, mean, I just, it feels like we need to. I, I, I feel like he's not age appropriate. <laughs> Zodiac might be intelligent. Uh, so 
what it, what it really is is uh, you know we're talking about Fincher building tension and and stuff like that and what you can do when you have a true story is you can kind of uh, you know you you have your source material and you can decide to use that or not use it and uh, a couple of things that he decides to use are kind of you know when you're watching scary movies and stuff like that like when the when the woman has the baby in the in her car and then the guy gets her in there so so one of the one of the tropes or one of the things that that horror directors like to do is put a child in peril right so there's nothing that gets you on edge like when there's a baby in danger or a small child in danger and typically typically 99% of scary horror movies the the baby or the child is never going to get hurt but just the fact that they're in danger scares you a lot. So he is able to use that tension builder, but it it doesn't get cheesy or tropey because it's a true story, right? And and because the way that they do it is just that very ter- he just, just you you feel terrified when he tells her before I kill you, I'm going to throw your baby out the window, and like and then it cuts, and then it, it's and it cuts away. It's so jarring, it cuts, right? Right, that you don't have to see anything like actually happen there's no confrontation but you're just and And you don't have to even see her jump out of the car it's not like an action-packed moment where she's oh how is she gonna roll out of this car it was but when you just see her standing on the side of the road you are instantly filled with dread Mm -hmm. that the baby's dead right Right. i mean that's that's your immediate thought until she brings the baby out Mm -hmm. which is just which is just that's that's the kind of shit that i love the shit that that gets you to where you're you're panicked for somebody that you don't know or somebody that you're not connected to at all only because it's a child or it's somebody innocent or helpless. You know what I mean? Which is something that, you know, is, is like I said, it's a trope. It's something that you would do to scare the audience. But when it's a true story, you can do it legitimately. And it's something that can really get you. I'll say that there's an inherent challenge with filmmakers making movies about actual events nowadays. Cause I'm the type that I, before I watched it, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna look. Up, I'm gonna look up a little bit about the Zodiac and kind of look into this before I get into it, just because I, I want to like alleviate any of my 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 fears or concerns. And and so uh, I, I looked it up and I knew that the woman didn't lose her baby. So it's like it, it took away from the scene. I, I basically spoiled it for myself. But I, just it sucks for directors now to have to like make a movie when you know that people can look up and find out, Oh, that shouldn't happen. So <laughs> I, I, I don't need to be scared because I know that that person's going to be safe or I know that, Oh shit, this person's going to die. Like that's the way I went into it. And that kind of sucks, but I probably shouldn't have done that. So let me, uh, let me I, I want to <laughs> ask you guys a question. Does a true story film make it better or worse for you? I, Cause I, it definitely makes it better for me. Like yeah. I, 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 I love films based on true stories and I actually, and yet mostly don't care about the things that they don't get quite right as long as the essence of it is right. But I just sort of realized I kind of assumed everyone was that way, and I bet that's not true. Well, I would say, I mean, for a movie like Zodiac, it, it, it's worse because in a fictional movie, you can be like, oh, these are fictional people dying. It's not a big deal. But when you're like, no, God damn, this, is, this really happened, and this is some terrible shit, that, uh, I think that's tougher to deal with. And so I, I kind of... Like a movie like Zodiac fucks me up more than like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre because it's like, well, that shit didn't happen. Uh, this shit really that's happened. That's real. Uh, it was actually based on true events. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, I mean, it was very, very loosely based on, uh, what was his name? Uh, 
shit, I forgot what the guy's name was. The girl didn't quite look exactly like Jessica Biel, but besides that, it was pretty exact. <laughs> she had higher cut jeans. What do you, do you Nikki? You like? I'm I'm 100 with you. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm in it more. When yeah. it's, but when even it's a with the movie story. about like murders and stuff. Yeah, I mean, yes, in the sense that I'm not saying it doesn't shake you up more, but I presume that that's what they want me to do, they want to do to me because fuck them. But anyway, you know. So typically, I'm with you. Like it has to be, but it has to be the right story, right? So it has to be something that's compelling enough to grip you without without going off of the source material. So you have to be. It has to be good enough to make a compelling movie or show or whatever it is without. Because what ruins it for me is, and what what is cool about this movie is that it's pretty much universally praised as being pretty accurate. Uh, the the minute that the minute that everybody you know when you when you go too far off of the true story and you're gonna say at the beginning of the movie this is a true story and then when you read about it after the movie and they're like three quarters of this was bullshit, you, you lost. Which is funny because we're talking about Fincher and Social Network is is one of those movies that a lot of people talk about being not true in a lot of areas or at all in a lot of areas. And then the people, there's a lot of debates on because of how significant what they were doing in social network was in the forming of Facebook as a piece of history, true or false. Is it still, does that take away from a being from its importance as a film made about that time period, true or false, you know, Zuckerberg's story, true or false, him fucking over, um, you know, Savern. Um, so anyways, that's, that's funny. a good point because yeah. I, I would say like Zodiac for me is like informative, like, Oh shit, I learned right. a lot about the Zodiac versus Facebook. I'm like, I enjoy this movie because it's a great, right. uh, just an outstandingly made movie, well but I don't think of it as like, Oh, this is the, the history of Facebook. And I, but I, the thing is with, with Zodiac, I also look at it as a, as a, as a beautifully formed, you know, movie, because I think when you have so much source material, I think it takes, I think it's a bigger challenge to balance the two and create a piece of art from something that starts from not art and just facts and data. And how do you turn that into your own and put your voice to that is, I think that's what makes Fincher, you know, one of the best. It's also deciding on source material, right? So he decided. Yeah, to so that's from, a great point. Yeah. From Graysmith's right. point of view, which I think, you know, right. leans, a, leans a bit one way but i think everybody kind of agrees that it's probably uh, a pretty accurate portrayal. well and like and what and nate it, was saying about documentaries right or brad or what, what you guys were saying about documentaries doesn't matter i mean it's still history a lot in most cases it's it's data it's it's historical historical facts but it's coming from a person's crea- a a creator's voice yeah. and it's perspective and it's their voice coming through well in the contrast right in terms of source material Social networks based on a book too. I mean, right. I think it's called "The Accidental Millionaires" by uh, or "Billionaires" by Ben Mesrick. And uh, I read the book well before the the movie came out. And I mean, I really like that writing, but I, I my sense is that yeah, if you compare the two pieces of source material, it wouldn't take you very long to figure out. I mean, it's essentially like like nonfiction novel, right. Is what, what the, 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 the social network is based on. I mean, it's explicitly trying to be that. And Graysmith's book is not that. Right. right? And right. so, you know, that choice changes the movie fundamentally. But I also wonder how much the time period affects that. So when you're talking about something that happened in 1969, oh, you've only got so many point of views for people that decided to write a book. When you're talking about something with Facebook that you're talking about nineties, early two thousands. I mean, these guys, 
are there's 15,000 different people's perspectives on it because everybody has social media and a way to get their viewpoint out there. I think Fincher is probably, I, I would, I would like to think, I mean, obviously I don't know him anymore. I mean, we used to know him really well, but he's, you know, he's too famous for us now. We used to be really good friends, but uh, you know, I'm thinking that he would love to sit down and talk about all this shit. He seems like somebody that's just like, I feel like he would get super nerdy and super into all of this. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but uh, I feel like this is like just right in his wheelhouse and he would love to discuss all of this stuff with us. So with us, are, are you inviting back to our podcast? I think podcast? he has an invita- open invitation. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, when we first had him on for the fight club pod that we did a year ago, <laughs> you know, he just, he was like, Hey, anytime you guys want me back, but you know, he's, he's been ever since he's got stuff going, he's got to deal with, <laughs> he's got to deal with Netflix. He's got a shitty movie that he did with them. I liked make. Why you, why you earn make? Is well, it make? I actually, I didn't see make. Yeah, but it was a good movie. I didn't see either one. <laughs> so you just turn your nose up. Welcome back to our podcast about movies where we haven't seen Citizen Kane. So because we're talking really quick about you know him being a great movie maker, like scenes in the movie that are memorable to you that, guys. I mean, like the Lake Berryessa scene in the basement scene. I think. I think so. My, I I I loved the use of the building of the, uh, the the construction of the building in San Francisco. It's a real passing thing. Now, obviously not. It's for me a little device like that that's pretty novel, um, it, it, and it, it. I don't. Know, I, I just. I, I find him clever in that in ways that aren't like he doesn't try to trot out as being particularly, you know, showy. It just seems like, hey, we got to pass time here. How can we do it? Mm-hmm. Well, we can do it the same old fucking way, you know, or we can do something kind of different. And, and it felt cool to me. And, and I'm not one to notice that kind of stuff unless it's, you know, pretty cool. Brad, oh, I'm I'm gonna say mine for Shag because I I got a little bit to say about. So just me, the interrogation with Arthur Lee Allen, and maybe when you're watching it the first time, it's the thing where maybe even the second time when you're watching, when you're like, oh, they're not gonna interrogate him again after this. When you watch it the second, third time, whatever time after that first time, you realize shit, this is it, and then you get to actually enjoy the close-ups and when the detectives are seeing little things and their reactions, the, those close-ups of those, of the faces and Arthur Lee Allen's and them picking up little things. And, um, so, so on that Arthur Lee Allen, Gyllenhaal, uh, yeah. real, so, so not only did the, the scene in the, in the basement, see, he claims really happened. Um, he also claims that when he went to the hardware store, and uh, Arthur Lee Allen is working there. That is a, that is a true scene. So what so what he says what really happened. So in the movie, he walks into the hardware store. Uh, uh, Allen's working there, and he turns around and they lock eyes. And he says, "Can I help you?" And he doesn't. He says, "No." And then he just walks out of the out of the store. So what he says actually happened is that uh, Allen he went to the store that Allen worked at. He drove up next to him in the parking lot. So. Uh, so Arthur Lee Allen, Gray Smith is parked in the parking lot and Arthur Lee Allen drives up next to him in the parking lot, blocking him in so that he cannot pull out, pulls up right, right next to him so that they're looking at each other and they stare each other down through their, uh, through their driver's side and passenger windows. That's the interaction. Which wow. is fucking awesome. Right? Wow. I just, I don't know what else we can talk about with Fincher. We could probably go for a long time. There's a ton of source material. I want to preface all of the things that we're saying here are post post face. What do you say when you're saying it after you already said it? 
I want to post face all of this, all of the stuff that we're saying today with that. None of us are Zodiac expert experts. We don't know. You, this you, is, you're going to show me your post face. Is that I just, I just, I just, it's, it's similar post, to my O face. Post, <laughs> post. I just, you know I just don't about. want, I just don't want anybody listening to this. Think that we know what the fuck we're talking about because, uh, we don't, but I'm willing to speculate on a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it feels like right now, to me, it's time for the ASMR moment. I'm just throwing it out there. And for that, I've chosen, this is Nate, the Blue Diamond Extreme Ghost Pepper Almonds. Oh, is that what you've been eating munching on? Ghost Pepper? Ghost Pepper Almonds. Oh, my God. You hear that crunch? There's nothing more Central Valley than a than a white guy eating almonds. <laughs> <laughs> farmer a farmer eat, not eating his own almonds. Supporting Blue Diamond. <laughs> a can a week. That's all they ask. Uh, all right. Well, I, I, I know that there's some people out there that just uh, excuse themselves from the pod for a minute. So we'll give them a second to come back. Bez Video Kingdom is brought to you by the San Francisco Police Department. Got a crime that needs solving? Don't worry about it. Our inspectors are on the SFPD are top-notch, highly trained specialists who will do anything to solve your case. Of course, that's as long as the case is completely within our jurisdiction and doesn't involve communicating or sharing information with any other PD. Those other PDs are assholes. Can you believe Vallejo wanted us to help them with the murder case in their jurisdiction just because the perp dropped off the murder weapon across the street from our department? I mean, geez, the balls on those guys trying to get important evidence from us. Fuck them. They'll get the gun when they tell us what the prime suspect in the Jones murder said when he confessed to them last year. Still haven't made an arrest on that one. The San Francisco Police Department, effortlessly looking into crime on a daily basis. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Love that essay. Okay. All right, David. Have a good night, bud. <laughs> All right. So David just left the room. So, I mean, man, that guy's drunk. Somebody should probably drive him home. So we're going to move on to Shag Snag Body Bag, which takes on a whole nother meaning when we're talking about serial killer movies. Um, you know, a lot of serial killers like to shag, like to snag, and like to body bag. So, uh... We're going to throw it over to Nick, and uh, what are we shagging from this movie, Big Dog? I'm shagging the uh, buddy cop storyline, or whatever you want to call it, that goes on in this movie, whether it's just chemistry between two actors, but it happens multiple times between not just two actors. So you got Gray Smith and Avery, you got Robert Downey Jr. and Jill and Hall's relationship that you're kind of just, you want to see more of them working together, talking about the case. You got Toski and his partner, uh, William Armstrong, played by... Anthony Edwards. That's right. Goose. 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 Um, you got there. Always the wingman. <laughs> <laughs> At least he made it through this one. Um, their relationship. And then Toski and Graysmith at the end of the movie. You want to see their interactions and their the chemistry that they got going on. So you got three different kind of buddy cop. You know, you want to see them as homies after this. You'd see probably a 10-part Netflix series if they were trying to solve crimes and talk about crimes. Um, so that's my shag. I do enjoy Hulk telling him throughout the movie, like, I can't tell you this, but you I should can't go tell talk you to you. go see Ken Marlowe <laughs> in Vallejo. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. My, my shag is, is just Fincher not giving a fuck. Like, at this point in his career, he's two hours and 40 minutes. Sure. 100 takes per scene. Sure. <laughs> no real cl- climax in the movie. Sure. I mean, if you give a director this power, like, I mean, it can kind of go off the rails. I know after Boogie Nights, like, a lot of people... There's Magnolia is a very divisive film with PTA, and it's like I mean because he kind of just got to do what he wanted. Um, 
but there was one scene that that came to mind that that Fincher wanted to put in the movie that they didn't allow him to, where it was going to be the four years, like it was going to travel forward four years in time. He was going to have two minutes of black with just songs kind of transitioning into each other to go for the four years. And I was like, what, blank a screen, blank screen. Oh my God. <laughs> and he just wanted to do it. Just, just some, some, a musical two minute musical transition to, to, to move you forward four years. And I was like, God damn the balls on that guy. <laughs> That's awesome. So Fincher didn't give a fuck. He's like, I'm doing whatever I want. I don't care. So Pretty much. I, I'm shagging the unsolved mystery. So like, I, I like, you know, the resistance of the temptation to like really tie it up. Um, I think that's what makes this movie and maybe among many special things, that's probably the thing that I, I like the most about it and that I would like to see other movies do well that they don't. This is my most controversial take on this movie is probably my shag, which is going to be uh, which is going to be animal crackers. I mean, is there anything more delicious than flavorless? Sh- it's literally, it's not flavorless, but they're sugar flavored. They're, 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 uh, they they're, taste like animal but crackers. Can we talk about animal crackers? Can we talk about animal crackers for a minute if we're going to go there? They're delicious. Animal cookies. Okay. So that's what I'm saying. Okay. All animal crackers are not the same. You no. get some of that big old, like, giant th- bullshit animal animal crackers that have, like, one tenth of the sugar in them. No, they have to come in so a, they they have to come come in a, a box, box that, with, that a, looks with like a string. A, it looks like it's uh, like a zoo cart. Exactly. Mm. It's, it's like not a rail those, car full of animals. They'll try to sell them to me like they're some sort of animal cracker. Because they're just them. fucking... Mm-mm. Gross. The only right animal cracker is the the mother's pink and white ones with the little sprinkles. Oh my god! Those okay, so like now we're on next level. Ever that's too much. Those those weren't around in '69. You, went, you just think. went to you went beyond the pale. Oh, okay? I've gotten that's, back on those all that, of a sudden. They used to be at my much. grandma's house way back in the day, and now I'm back on them. They so, didn't start hey. frosting till the well, here, '80s. Here's a question: What's Seven inside? Nine, have you, have you ever just sucked the frosting off one of those? Is, is it Dude. like a traditional animal cracker inside? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're telling me that I haven't sucked the frosting off. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the guy looks like he could suck I've the frosting off an animal, animal cracker. <laughs> Brad, I'm 100 percent in on that. We we used to call them white one, pink ones. I don't I don't know I don't know how that came out, but uh, my grandma used to have them at her house. They came in a bag that was like made of foil. Oh my god! Oh my, gra- so my, my grandma would get the uh, the multi pack that had all the different ones with the pink and whites. I would eat all the pink and whites and leave Wait, all that other there was shit. a pack. What that else had was anything in there? But Pink and white animal crackers. What, else? Yeah. what other what color was there? They had like the little, did they call like it some little pick like through to Oreo find the good ones. Bees and some other like. Oh, yeah. they, the mother's multi mix. Yes. Yeah. Okay, but hold yeah. on. Let's not jump past this. Are you trying to claim right now that the pink and whites, if you take the frosting off of them, the center of them is the animal cracker from the little like Barnum and Bailey zoo cart box? I think it's approximately. I, I say no. What do you say is in there? Some knockoff bullshit. No, I think it's the same shit. You're telling me that Mothers was like, hey. It's not the same. We're going to steal them exactly. Yeah, it's not the same. But. <laughs> it's not the same animal crackers. should talk but cookie with me. Flavorless. Challenge my cookies. Flavorless slash sugar flavored snacks are my favorite. No one else likes them. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of the super soft loft house cookies that they sell in the grocery store that do not taste like anything. That oh, are so you know what I'm just talking the about? Heavy frosting. Yes. <laughs> if you, you know, like you those, know. the super soft cookies that you, oh yeah, you, get you know I, I I'm a big frosted sugar cookie guy. Yes. I, and I was went way in on the loft house early, and I might have done done overdone. <laughs> <laughs> I might have killed it for myself. <laughs> oh my god! 
All right. Too now that much. we've now that we've had our sugar high, we're gonna move on to <laughs> snag. So uh, we found out what we wanted to shag in this movie. What are we gonna take home to Mama and show her? Uh, show her what's going on with the Zodiac. Uh, what do you got, Nikki? Um, snagging. Yeah, snagging. All right, all right. Um, so it's not a sexy pick, but um, we talked about Fincher's um, ability to piece together. So it's Fincher. And how he basically told the story that he told and created a uh, a great movie that we all enjoyed um, with so much material. The Passing of Time, basically. How he formulated The Passing of Time. What I marked down is I counted roughly 20 times in the movie, in the lower part of the screen, they say X amount of years later, X amount of years later. And that's not even including because then he took his liberties and said hours later, which obviously he didn't have source material for that. So that's Fincher working his way in. So upwards of 25 times, there is text at the bottom of the screen telling you X amount of years later, this amount of years later. And if you think about that, if you're told that ahead of time, that's not something you want to, that may not be a movie you want to see. Or you think that's like a hundred year movie. Right. Is, I mean, is it the <laughs> Irishman? It's, it's, it's the Irishman of murder movies. Yeah. Right. But it, I counted them. And so it's to, to have that, to, that's what he was dealing with at the start. Um, and he pieced together the movie that he did, um, I thought was great. So it's Fincher, and my focus was that, just how time was dealt with in the movie. My snag is is Northern California, man. It's just the the fact that this takes place in in a in a place that we grew up in. I mean, we're we're not big city kids, but at the same time it mentions Modesto, which is which is near uh really near to where we grew up. Well, and for us, San Francisco was like I imagine for the all of us, it was, it was like the city. You went it's, into the city, yeah, and, and that was a big trip. You know, you go, for, you go around Christmas time. You go so those buildings and those scenes and the feel of that definitely feels like home in a certain way. A hundred percent. So it's like just the the idea of Northern California. It, we have mountains and snow to our east, and then you have the coast. You have San Francisco. You have the Bay Area. I mean, all to our west. It's like we we were kind of right in the middle of that. And so I like a movie that's taking place here. And and takes its its material seriously, the 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 old mockups of San Francisco. I mean, I know Fincher went through like uh, CGI to make sure that it all looked right and stuff. So that's that's pretty amazing. And I, I like that the fact that we have some uh, some great no- Northern California scenes in this movie. Did you snag yet, Zach? My snag may be controversial. Um, Wait. Wasn't your shag Shag also controversial? I'm sorry. Full of controversy. Well, well, no, no, we're snagging. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, it's, I think, I guess, I guess all my takes are controversial. Um, Especially the ones about cookies. But basically, when, in 1969, (laughs) there was different media sources, but everything was kind of a single media source compared to today, right? So you had... You know, different newspapers, but you, everybody watched the news and everybody was kind of getting the same information. I God, I wish we could go back to that, even if it's wrong. I just, I hate now that you can kind of, uh, you can kind of hone in on your exact flavor of the news and everything that you're getting is going to be through either a super liberal or a super conservative or super neutral view. Uh, although I don't know any of the super neutral. What are the ultra neutral? There aren't any. Fucking so those fucking neutrals. You know what I'm saying? Like it just talking about 
both sides of issues. Bullshit talk. It kills Swedish me. News. It kills me that now you you can just create your own reality, right? So you know you can you can create curate your Facebook experience or your Twitter experience or your news experience, and you're gonna get what you're looking for. Uh, I feel like at least in the '60s and '70s there was a narrative, and that's what the narrative was, and that's what everybody was getting. Uh, I feel right, like being fed. Fed all the stuff that the government wanted us to believe. Whether it was good or bad, whether it was good or bad, I, I back I, when you were young, I liked in, it back in the sixties. I don't know, man. I just all I'm saying is it seemed it seemed better. Maybe I'm just uh, nostalgic. For simpler, other times. simpler, simpler times. times. Exactly. Animal crackers were all pink and white back then. Pink and white. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm gonna snag the cast. It's kind of a boring one, but it's a killer cast, and I'm a big fan of uh, Hall, Robert Downey Jr., and yes, Ruffalo. I t- completely disagree with Zach on this point. So I, I really like, <laughs> and of course Goose is in it. So you know, I'm never gonna, never gonna hate that. So I, I love the cast. We're gonna move on to Body Bag. And speaking of things that I hate, um, <laughs> so for someone like me that watches movies not usually in one take, it took me a really long time to watch this movie. Um, and I, and I, I, I'm not inherently opposed to long movies. I thought that there was some fat to cut here. Um, definitely. And, and so I, I think this movie could have been made with mostly the same points and a lot of the same beautiful cinematography and a lot of the tension and at about mm, two hours and five minutes. Don't, don't you know, also so. get the feeling that there's like a four and a half hour cut out there that oh, Fincher I, wanted to release? Oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> The three sections of 10 minute darkness. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So I don't love the length. I don't think it needs to be this long. I don't think it, I don't think it adds that much to be, you know, I think you could cut 30%. It would be just as good. My body bag. I'm going for, uh, at times, especially kind of early in the movie, it, it felt like the first few episodes of game of Thrones, where if, if you weren't a book reader and you just jumped into game of Thrones, there was all these motherfucking characters. And you're like, oh, my God, there's like this guy, this person, this person. And it was just overwhelming. And I felt like that at the beginning of the movie. It's like, oh, shit, we're in Vallejo with this cop now. And, oh, we're now we're with Donal Logue. Oh, now we're with uh, the, the the boss from Fight Club. Like, like we were just like all over the place. <laughs> and I was like trying to like they're mentioning names like when they're talking. And like, I'm like, wait, who was that? Which, which guy was that? Like, and it was just it was a little confusing. Eventually, you kind of like start to get together. But but yeah, it just it kind of at first it was like. God damn! There's so many people in this movie, and they're they're talking about them by name. I'm like, I don't remember their names. Like, I just remember, oh, it's the Donut Look. You're like, which one of them has the dragons? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, my body bag is actually the fact that Dave Toski, the 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 head detective played by Ruffalo, Ruffalo. Um, <laughs> the, the head detective was actually Damon Wayans on A Living Color. Ruffalo. Ruffalo. <laughs> really got, and, and you know, the, the real story as far as what I, what I read was that he really got, you know, a raw deal as far as he ultimately got, you know, accused and it and mentions it in the movie, but he got accused of writing, uh, falsely accused of writing one of the uh, Zodiac letters. He brought a little bit of the heat on himself because evidently he wrote anonymous letters to the uh, San Francisco Chronicle praising his own work on the case. <laughs> Didn't Kevin Durant do something like that? 
He had his burner account. Yeah. Yeah. So he, you know, the introduction of the burner accounts. Thank you, uh, Dave Toski. But um, yeah, but he still got he got the raw on the deal for to putting in however x amount of years on the case, and then I think being pushed out of homicide because of his um, the accusations of him being involved with that zodiac letter is was is really rough. Um, but you know, he ended up Steve McQueen's character in Bullock ended up being based off of. Uh, him and also Clint Eastwood loosely um, as Dirty Harry got based off of Toski as well. So we, I think Toski ended up winning out, um, was uh, revered by kind of Hollywood as uh, they were looked up to him by kind of like a hard, hard nosed detective and the signature gun straps over the shoulders. That was one of his trademarks. But trademark, he he got a Toski got a raw deal there with the uh, Zodiac letter. I absolutely love the take that he uh, came up with the burner account in 1969. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, all right, so Mr. Brad, we are on to did one of know, our. Did you have a body bag? Nope. All right. That's why I skipped it. He loved he loved the movie. He yeah. loved everything about it. No, I mean if if I had a body bag for this movie, I would piggyback I would piggyback the length of the movie. Um typically I don't get to watch movies until about nine thirty. And when I started this movie at nine thirty, it didn't end until well, <laughs> well into the night. And uh it was uh I'd seen it before. I like the movie. It's a little long. I agree that there's some fat that could be cut. Moving on to one of our, you know, one of our favorite oldest, uh, you know, will we call them sponsors or would they be, uh, what, what would they be? Yeah, I mean. And they, I would call them a pending sponsor. Yeah. Esteemed advertisers. advocate. Yeah, they'll, they'll be sponsoring us at some point. I mean, we, <laughs> we know this is going to happen. So we're just kind of like just, yeah, we're promoting them right now. And then they're going to have to pay us back pay for all of our old. Oh, ones. I love it's that take. Sweet. We got a good, we got a sweet deal going here. Cameo so, owes us so much money. So much money. <laughs> Throw in some pink and whites, Cameo. I, I essentially treat the Cameo section as my children's college savings yeah, account. It's yeah. just like accruing without anyone else knowing it. Compounding interest right now. So so Cameo pricing, we've got uh, uh, we've got one really big name, and and surprisingly, and then we have one, of course, we have a former, I'll just go to the former first, Adam Goldberg, who has a very small scene in this movie. He uh, was formerly on Cameo. And the one like preview video, he had like his little sleeve, his tatted sleeves, and he was just standing there talking about something. I was like, Is that okay. the guy that wrote Super Bad with Seth Rogen? No, Adam Goldberg is. Uh, he's been in Saving Private Ryan. He's been in Days and Confused. Lots of stuff. He's the one that took over for Robert Downey Jr.'s character at, in the uh, San Francisco Chronicle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He t- he takes he over took his, his chair. chair in the and in Saving office. Private Ryan, he got stabbed through the heart like very yeah. graphic. Ooh, that's yeah. a great scene. Uh, yeah, rough scene. All right, so. Uh, we have three characters. I'm going to give you two just because, and then I'll let you guys guess the the, the bigger one. Um, Lee Allen's sister-in-law, who was like, hell yeah, that guy's a mess. Like, okay. he needs to be arrested. Yeah. yeah. Uh, her name's Jules Bruff, and you can talk to her for 30 bucks. Has she been in anything else? I, I don't know. I didn't really look it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we then, are committed uh, to the research. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just got numbers here. I'm a numbers man. Um, Charles Fleischer as Bob Vaughn. So Bob Vaughn, the the the, the scariest scene in the movie, in my opinion. Um, oh, basement guy. Base basement guy. Basement Ooh, how much do you think basement guys charging? I'll Spend give him twenty stuff. bucks. Some say scary things. Forty. 
I mean, I just, I feel I like know. We, I, got, we got to look at if he's been on Broadway, yeah. how many Tonys has he won, and <laughs> Emmys and things like that. He looks like he may have starred in like a version of uh, the one where the plant eats people. <laughs> little shop of horse yeah, exactly. he did little shop of shop of horse on broadway um no well so he did something because he's a hundred dollars what charles fleischer a hundred dollars dang maybe he forgot it was on there no one's ever asked him to uh <laughs> to say anything <laughs> and who's the big one who do you think and, and it's i'm gonna say anthony edwards I wish goose was on there goose, goose could goose. be anthony edwards could make so much money on cameo i feel like he would be just Rock solid. Robert Downey. Yeah, it's Iron Man. He still owes a Coke dealer from 1984. (laughs) Not that big. In fact, when I say it, you guys be like, that guy's not big. Oh, I like the misdirection. Is it Dylan Milroney? Milromet? That seemed like that could have been a good one, too. But no. It is the man who actually talks to the Zodiac. Oh, Oh, that kid. What else is he in? Dude, he's in something else. No, he's no, got no, a no, very distinct face. Has a the grown-up actor. Actually has a conversation with the fake Zodiac, because it wasn't really the Zodiac on the TV show. Oh, the old man guy? Melvin Belly is the... Uh, the, the, oh, the actual guy? The actual Melvin character's Belly? name, and it's Brian, Brian Cox. Oh, Brian Cox is on Oh, yeah. Cameo? It was very random. I thought Brian Cox just doesn't seem wow. like super true. That's a man. That is a big name. How much is he charging? Oh, I'd say at one fifty. Two. No, I'm gonna say three. Well, I bet you it's, let's not get out it's of less than basement guy. He's Eighty-eight. Like Oscar caliber. Brian Cox for the small. No, I paltry small. sum. I, I cannot say small. It's three hundred twenty-five dollars. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, three hundred. What do you? That's all I'm who's saying. buying Brian Cox for two minutes? For who is a huge? Long. Yeah, who's a big Brian Cox stand? Like, yeah. who's going to be like? No, I this need is to the guy that, that this guy. is the guy that was the the host on the TV show, not the not the handwriting expert. The, right, right, the gray right, hair. Right. He, yeah, the host. he was like he was the one requested. Like, I want to talk to this dude. Well, he's in stuff. Brian Cox was the oh, original Hannibal been... Lecter in Manhunter. He's like, yeah, yeah, a big, yeah. He's Brian a big Cox deal. has been lots of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, that's our cameo. All right. Brian we, Cox, wow. Three hundred twenty. I was, I was, I was hey, like, damn. damn. I just, I never would have thought Brian Cox is like taking out the time to like. Write that's like Wesley money. Snipes money. Yeah, that's that's serious. He's right up there with him. Maybe he's having tax problems. So, <laughs> almost a guarantee. So I, I think I think that's a prerequisite for cameos. If you're having problems with the IRS, it's time to jump on cameo and make some uh, make some money for old yep. Uncle Sam. So. I really like this movie. I think there's a bunch of stuff that people can uh, that that people can connect to this. I think we have a bunch of Fincher connections. So, uh, Nick, if we were gonna uh, if we watched this movie and loved it, and we wanted to get that feeling again, what are we gonna stream that is uh, out there for free or for a small sum that you have to pay every month? <laughs> <laughs> On Hulu, uh, Gone Girl, Fincher's Gone Girl from 2014. Um, is on Hulu, stars uh, Ben Affleck, Rosamund Pike, Neil Patrick Harris, NPH, Tyler Perry, Carrie Coon, Kim Dickens, and Patrick Fugit. Almost famous? Fugit? Fugit? Fugit. I think it's Fug It. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee that's how he says it. Uh, that's 100%. <laughs> hey. Fuck it. <laughs> and for the next pod as well, I'm gonna we're, we can use that one. But uh, yeah, Gone Girl, amazing film. Talk about tension. I really like Gone Girl. It's, it's, Don't mention it's that tension. Really 
so the, that that's the, my the style of Gone Girl and the way that and the way that it's shot and uh, some of the cinematography decisions and stuff are are, are yeah. first top. It's rate. great. So top it's interesting that my, my stream recommendation uh, is a movie that I'm sure Fincher watched before he ever did Zodiac, and it's uh, uh, the classic Spike Lee Summer of Sam. And and Summer of Sam is uh, uh, it focuses on the the son of Sam Killer from New York. Um, actually, interesting point is that when I I had to go back because I remember that he he said that the dog was convincing him to kill people in the in the, the, the son of Sam Killer, and then they said that when the guy called in on the the TV show, he said his name was Sam, and so I thought son of Sam like was he like a copycat kind of? Then I then I looked it up. And I was like, no, it was just the the dog's name. So like that's why he called himself Son of Sam. But uh, yeah, a, a very interesting movie. Doesn't focus as much on the 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 killer. Focuses on how people are reacting in in New York during a, a, a heat wave and a blackout and all sorts of different stuff going on. It's kind of the East Coast Zodiac, right? Yeah, very much. And I mean, was definitely going up to people like at Lovers Lanes and and, and shooting them in the head and and kind of the same situation. So. Uh, a, a very strange movie, very interesting movie, but I really like it. And it's available on some shit called Hoopla. <laughs> 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 so otherwise, you're going to have to probably pay for a rental fee on Amazon. But uh, yeah, Hoopla. If you got Hoopla, if you're one of those Hoopla people. You, you five people that have Hoopla or know what it is. <laughs> Go it check was it out. Brand new to me, so yeah. I there think we're go, just Google. making up names at this point. You can stream it on Hullabaloo. <laughs> now streaming on Bonanza Time. Man. <laughs> All right. Oh man. So my streaming rec is on Netflix. This was a made for Netflix movie with uh Robert Pattinson and um the kid that plays Spider Man. What's his name? Uh Tom Holland. Mm. Oh. And uh it's Devil All the Time streaming on netflix i really liked it another movie that runs probably a bit longer than it needed to run but uh much more i don't want to say much more compelling but it, it this this movie is uh is obviously fiction it gets told from a bunch of different point of views and uh i was really it's one of the movies that i watched and i thought here goes another shitty movie that i'm not gonna like and i really really dug it so you guys should check it out a little bit spooky uh it's a good one i've started it i just i gotta get back to it. it's good uh pattinson when pattinson comes on the screen holy crap he is amazing he's like a southern baptist preacher and he's got this insane accent and uh he's kind of fat it's so good it's so good so mine's the girl with the dragon tattoo, which is also Fincher. Um, this is the American version, uh, and you can see that on Prime or Hulu. And if you're if you don't have either one of those, then what are you even doing with your life? Um, I would also recommend though if the whole series of so the girl with the dragon tattoo is the first in a in a series of books. I, I read the original three books, which are great. Um, and there's a I think there's a Swedish made version that are really good, and that you can get all three. I think you can also uh, stream that on Hoopla. <laughs> the first, no the joke. first, the first girl with the dragon tattoo Swedish movie is better than the Fincher version. I agree with that. Um, I think that's right, but but I think the Fincher version is great too. It's and also the, good. The sort, you know, talk about source material. I mean, the books are terrific. So, anyway, go check out uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Well, one last one, last one. Nightcrawler, Jake Gyllenhaal as well. Uh, definitely has kind of a, a same idea of the media and murder. Um, how they deal with it, and uh, it's on Direct TV and AMC Plus. So, good one. Check that out. 
So we are getting long here, guys. And you know what? We're thinking about running out of the video store right now. And right before we leave, we're going to grab a copy of this movie and we're going to throw it into another section. So if we're reshelving or throwing another ending onto this movie, what are we going to do, Brad? Yeah, it's 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 tough when you have a movie that's based in reality that to, to make an alternate ending or whatever. But I took a Clint shot. Tarantino at, would uh, disagree with you. <laughs> that is true. Wait, are you telling me that Hitler was not shot in the face multiple <laughs> times by two gunmen? <laughs> All I know is that there was an epic flamethrower fight in L.A. at some point. I'm going to shoot you in the face. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So my my alternate ending is is, so they arrest Lee Allen. uh, And and this is our our little alternate. Uh, They arrest Lee Allen. But soon after, another Zodiac killing happens. So now they're like, damn it, we got to release Lee. He, He wasn't the guy. And then they arrest Rick Marshall and Bob Vaughn. They're like, these guys are working together. Yeah, they're the killers. But. All of a sudden, another Zodiac killing occurs. And so they release Vaughn and Marshall. And then the final scene is is Graysmith. He's returning home. All three of those dudes are in his house. And they're just staring him down because all three of them are the Zodiac killers together. Oh, I, love scream. I, love, I love it. And they're all the, the ending to scream. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> they all have the, the ghost face mask on. <laughs> but, but this is, I mean, what, what I love about that Scooby ending Doo is slash it's, scream. It, it's not entirely far-fetched in the sense that a lot of the, like, you know, the, the conversation around this is that there are multiple Zodiacs that like, you know, I mean, between the handwriting. Yeah. And different stuff. Well, and just copycats. The, the copycatting and, and, and hard to tell who who's claiming credit for what that, you know, in a true sense, right. If we take the full body of uh, work, so to speak by Zodiac, it's really has to be multiple people. Even if they weren't, they may not have been coordinating, but I like it. That they might've been. There you go. All right. Um, I, I, do not have a reshelf. I got an alternate ending as well, and it's in the uh, Quentin Tarantino alternate history universe. Lots of feet shots. <laughs> Lots of feet. Quentin, <laughs> Quentin in his feet <laughs> eating burgers. Last shot is the the guy from the Kevin from the office's foot, just like a real close up on it. Yeah, <laughs> three different fifteen minute you know dialogue sections between uh. Yeah, Toski and uh, and Graysmith and <laughs> compelling shit. Um, but Graysmith and Avery, after their first, uh, after the um, Aqua Velva uh, conversation in the bar, they're besties and they say, we're going to solve this shit and we're going to go after the key to this case, um, which I didn't mention in my, in my body bag, which is just the fact that the one guy that could have maybe identified the Zodiac, just they just mentioned a couple of times, oh, he skipped town. Yeah, we can't He skipped town. Him. We can't find him. <laughs> skipped town. And then at the very end, he comes back around, you know, as far as the movie's concerned, you know, identifies him, and it's like, well, fuck. Yeah, they should have just you... checked Cameo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, Jimmy so anyways, Simpson is not on Cameo. <laughs> Sorry. Graysmith and Avery, they basically say, we got to find this guy. And they go on kind of like a, they go on a search for him. And it's kind of a worldwide search. Like they find him somewhere exotic, like Bali or some shit where he's just like checked out off the grid. They bring him back and they're not even messing around with cops. Like they want him to identify and they get him to Alan at the very end thinking and Avery and Graysmith, you know, are uh, naive enough to think that this guy's just going to identify him and be okay and not be traumatized. But homeboys packing heat and he uh and he comes in hot and he just starts firing away at uh so it's a it's a hitler moment alternate Ooh. universe and starts Ooh. just blasts him over smokes the counter the zodiac smokes the zodiac 
and uh, credits. Dude. Yeah, that's my alternate history. I love a good Hitler moment. Go. I thought you were going to go. This brings me back to Scotchler's list. <laughs> but uh, I thought you were going to say that uh, RDJ and uh, and uh, Gyllenhaal just go on like a buddy, uh, you know, trek across the yeah, country like, trying to find. Like, Is this Bill and Ted's Excellent <laughs> yeah. Adventure meets Zodiac? I thought maybe it was like I'm in due date that. part two. Throw, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. Avery gets Graysmith to try, you know, coke, coke for the first time or weed or something in like uh, Amsterdam and. It's all over. Oh, I love it. Uh, thank you guys so much for coming out and discussing this movie. Please, please check this one out. Check out our streaming recommendations. Go on to uh, our social medias. We got BBK Podcast. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Come Instagram. check us out. Yes, Instagram, all that stuff. Like, subscribe. Um, if you guys feel like it, go on to iTunes. If you listen to something that you liked, go on there and leave us a little review. Maybe maybe even five stars. I don't know. We'll even take four just stars. Say, or just say things about my voice. Yeah, that, just be like, get, you know, get you going. the bass in Nate's voice really resonates with me. Um, there, there could be all sorts of ASMR recommendations. <laughs> we want this guy taking all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah. At what point do we, do we think that we're going to get our first email with our food requests? <laughs> Oh, wait, for, for you to eat things? Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. I we're waiting for mayo. We're waiting oh, for I hope it's either creamy or super phallic or both. Um, are we, uh, so you guys are, you're ready to draft so that I can win again? Is that where we're at? Because that's part two coming at you in a couple of days. So what you do is wait two days. This episode is going to come out on yeah. Tuesday, two days from when you're listening to this. You're going to hear the draft podcast. I can't wait to get into it. And thanks for coming with us to Bev's Video Kingdom, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. Part See you Thursday. Out. Start